following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Alive, it's alive, it's alive! Flee in panic, mere mortals, the male casuals have seized control of the airways. This is Casually Testosterone Core, live on AlphaGeekRadio.com. For Thursday, the 17th of September, 2015, this is Casually Hardcore, and I am Gnome Wise. And I'm Grail. And you're just getting the dudes today, because the women are weak and fragile and have headaches and are in bed. That's right. Yeah. They, can't ha- they can't handle the night show. You can't handle Thursday night. Thursday <laughs> kind of sucks as a day, you know? It's like the thing that's keeping you from Friday. It's Friday Eve. Ooh, hey, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. That point paints it in a whole new positive light. Exactly. That's why you should drink on Thursdays, because it's like pre-drinking for hey, the weekend. As, as I grab my uh, fresh uh, brewed concoction, cheers. Nice. Silently drinking beer, yes, makes for awesome radio. That's right. <laughs> we are professional. You got to gulp loudly. Gulp, 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 gulp. <laughs> like a fish. Um, 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 um. But anyway. Welcome to Casually Hardcore, your geek culture, something that happens on Thursday nights. Right. In a place with a guy. Mm-hmm. Ah, so let's get right into it since there, there be no estrogen to stand in our way. <laughs> yeah, that's the cause of all of our formatting issues. <laughs> Shh, be quiet. Go with me on this one. Right. All right, so... Uh, as I, I mentioned in passing last show, the we had some fun with the pre-release versions of the BB-8 toy from Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, which well hasn't released yet, and yet the toys are already available at your local Target and Walmart because, I don't know, consumerism. Well, I mean... I would say that was a uh, questionable idea until I went to Target and there was a space where apparently toys once were. <laughs> Success. Yeah, it was like, and I mean, especially when you had like the spaces where the $250 Millennium Falcon yes. thing was. Was that the Millennium Falcon um, drone? I can only assume <laughs> because it was just an empty space with a large price tag. That's it. Falcon <laughs> would have been here if you'd been here earlier. You fail. Yeah, basically. But they had the cool, uh, you know, kind of soda. Uh, what is that? Two, you know, twelve pack displays that were done up like Boba Fett or right. like a stormtrooper or whatever. Did you say Boba Fett? Yes. Just Almost, but not quite as sensual as Boba Fetish. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you. Oh, yeah. North of the Wall, represent. <laughs> uh, so the uh, BB-8 toy, which has been released to the wild and thoroughly dissected. Magnets, dude, how do they work? 
I don't know. You, we just it's just magic, and you get a lovely rotating toy that uh, has a R two D two style droid head on it, and will explore the universe without your intervention because reasons. But the where am I going with this? I <laughs> I just work. I, I, my my browser has frozen up, therefore my line of thought has stopped. <laughs> your mind is tied to your brain. It's the juice of Safu, the, the thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stain, the stains become a warning. It is by the will alone I set my mind in motion. There you um, go. No, the, the Sphero was an existing toy, which is basically a ball that you could remote control from your smart device and send on various adventures throughout the world. And wisely, the LucasArts pe- people approached Sphero saying, hey, we have this character we're developing for Force Awakens, and we think you're a shoe-in for making the toy version of this because you've already 80% developed it. We just need to learn how to pop a head on top of this thing that you've already made. Um, I predict this will, this will be the, the go-to must-have toy for holiday season 2015 because I'm 44 years old, and I desperately want one of these things. <laughs> yeah. I want it a lot, definitely. However, it, it's still... The only thing for the holiday season is the movie will have come out by then. Right. And so if it is suck, then maybe it won't become the holiday of, uh, the toy of the holiday season. But right. the chances of it sucking right now are looking lower. It's just... The, the only question for me is, will our expectations become too high? Will there be lens flares? Right. Is well, I mean, that's a given, but <laughs> really it is like, will we get to a point where it's so hyped up for this that there's just no possibility of it living up to everybody's expectations? I mean, I'm, th- I'm throwing myself back to having seen the first couple of trailers for the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And I had feelings of trepidation because it was called... The Phantom Menace. And the trailers were Star Wars-ish, but I, I didn't have a level of excitement to see. Like, I, I must see this. I, I was more like, I'm a nerd that grew up in the 70s and 80s. I'm kind of legally required to go and see this film. And... I don't have the same level of trepidation about episode seven that I did about Phantom Menace. And I can't put my finger on what exactly about the trailers has me feeling less concerned. I th- the thing that keeps popping into my mind is the bit where the X-Wings are skimming the surface yeah. of the lake and the pilot is just doing the woohoo thing a la Harrison Ford in the episode four, let's blow this thing and go home, kid vibe. Right. It just it's something about it speaks to me about okay, the people in charge of this get it. A, yeah. l- a little more than the prequels did. Well, I think, I mean, and, you know, granted, they have the power of hindsight to look back 
at those prequels and go, wow, that did not work. Let's, Let's not do virtual everything. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is, is that in this case, and maybe something the prequels could have incorporated better. Uh, I mean, there's a million reasons why the prequels have issues, but they are, you know, you, you had the X-Wings there, which are a direct tie to the 4, 5, and 6. You have stormtroopers that have slightly modified armor, but you can still look at them and go, that's a stormtrooper. Yep. And you still, so a lot of the same things are, are there that people love and have nostalgia for 4, 5, and 6. So it's very easy then to look at the, episode seven trailers and go, Oh yeah, this is, this is what I want. This is the continuation of the story I loved. Whereas with Phantom Menace, it was like, it's star Wars because it said star Wars on it. Right. And there are people with lightsabers. And I recognize that, but everything else is completely different. See, and there were bits of Phantom Menace that I did love the duel of the fates, the, sure. the duel in the feed power station freaking made of awesome. Yeah. And yet they kept cutting away to this annoying kid in a starfighter. Yeah. yeah. And it just killed it for me. Sure, sure. It it had I mean, there's there's a million thing. I can nitpick Phantom Menace for two straight hours. I don't think we want to do that. You and I are on the same page there. But I would say, you know, they've they obviously the trailer's working because they've already sold out of all these toys where, you know, Phantom Menace they couldn't give away some of the toys that yeah. they had. This, this is indeed what we find. So yeah, it's and the little the little robot dude is looking pretty awesome. Even without a Star Wars tie-in, it would be a, an awesomely fun toy to have. Yeah. So they they've just came, taken it to a new level by saying, "Oh, it's also a Star Wars droid. Oh, must right. have. Give, will take." Um, yeah, it's. It, I don't know. I, I am. I've been hurt before, mm-hmm. but I am cautiously optimistic that. Abrams and company will deliver on the the nostalgia rama that I desire, and I hadn't really realized that my, my original impression was they intended to use the classic actors, so Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, um, Anthony Daniels, Warwick Davis, to pass the torch to a new generation of characters, and. Poe Dameron and, and the various new characters that are clearly there to, hey, we're young, hip, we will carry the story forward. But I was also reading the stories of Mark Hamill showing up in the Irish pub after a long day of filming episode eight mm-hmm. in Ireland. It's like, so they're not completely washing their hands of classic characters for the next installment, um, which I didn't expect. I, re- I really expected them to say, here is the great transition movie, a la Star Trek Generations, but without the suck. Right. And we will move forward with a, with a new cast of characters. And it interests me that they're, that they're willing and interested in saying, no, Luke Skywalker is not, you know, he, he, he's not ready to go on the cart. He's not dead yet. He, he yet has, has wisdom to impart on the next generation of Jedi. And, and that says to me... Okay, you, you, you have my attention, and I will continue to tune in. Um, and I haven't even seen freaking episode seven yet, and you have my interest in, in episode eight. What sorcery is this where you have, you, you, you've overcome how I've been hurt before with the prequels and have me interested in not this next movie, but the movie after that? I feel, I feel 
not in control of my own destiny. <laughs> I am just a pawn. I am merely a pawn. Take my money, please. Yeah. Shut up and take my money. No, I mean, I, I would think that Abrams would have done the same thing with the Star Trek reboot uh, with Nimoy. It's just Nimoy was a little too old at that point to to do as much. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and I'm expecting in Star Trek Beyond, mm-hmm. there may be a nod to Leonard Nimoy's passing in a perhaps a funeral moment right. for Spock 1.0. Yeah, um, we'll see. Uh, it, it, it would be. I, I'm really shocked in the lack of noise from the Paramount direction for the upcoming and really looming 50th anniversary of Star Trek, where nothing is planned. Yeah, considering and, we, you know, t- what a year ago we went through the Doctor Who, and they nailed it. Yeah, and they were, and it was like a big deal, like, and uh, that was over here. Like, I can't imagine how big of a right. deal it was over there. I mean, to me, I, I watched the 50th anniversary episode, and with the annoying exception of Christopher Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston, who, who, right for. Actory reasons declined to participate. Fine, whatever. <laughs> you, you, do you hate money? Do you hate exposure and income and love of fans? <sighs> so, given that they were they they were given to work with, okay, we're we're missing one beloved character who we we dare not recast because the actor was integral to the character. So we just kind of wrote him out of it. They still really delivered a big old steaming bowl of fan service that was more than just fan service. It had great story elements that that informed the characters we knew and loved and advanced the overall storyline and yet still had freaking Tom Baker in it, okay? And they found a decent way to write him in as a possible future iteration of the Doctor, and it was just glorious gravy and sauce of Doctor Who-ness. And I walked away from that thinking, yay, I am so, right. so glad I am a fan from old school Doctor Who through reboot Doctor Who. And I don't know what they really could have done better. I can't think of you know, anything more they could have given me. No, it, it was a very satisfying Yeah, it was, it was tribute. A, a great meal of Doctor Who and actually let them kind of launch forward into the next season and, and they, they kind of did it right. Sure. But they made noises about this event a good year and a half oh, yeah. before the event. And it's just been crickets from Paramount. Right, and you look at Paramount. They have, I mean, you have all three of the, you know, the major captains are all alive and kicking. Yeah, <laughs> you can definitely do something with them. You have even some of the captains of the offshoot series, Voyager, well, you and, know, Enterprise. And I, one of the things I love about the Abrams reboot is he, he, you know, had the the throwaway lines of Admiral Archer. Right, that's straight from freaking Enterprise. Great. Right. And so they, they clearly are not denying their ties to the original Star Trek canon. Yeah. There's such a rich furrow there. They could be mining. And unless they're about to spring the greatest ever 
surprise, you know, 50th anniversary celebration on us, I just it, it's starting to feel like a really a wasted opportunity. Yeah, you never know. Like maybe they'll beam into like American Idol or like just all media will have Star Trek in it for a day. I think you just gave me cancer. <laughs> Mentioned Star Trek and American Idol in the same sentence. There you go. Though, I mean, there was a freaking episode of Doctor Who with which had the weakest link and Doctor Who all in the same episode, and it worked. And so it can be done, but I don't. I, I guess the British have are, are better at it, which kind of nicely segues into one right. of our news items. Um. So the BBC, for a couple of years now, has had their iPlayer, which is a wonderful tool. Now, now, TV in the UK is a different creature than it is here. Very much so. You pay an annual license fee to be allowed to tune in television in the UK. And the BBC is funded via that license fee and the government uh, to create content. They're, they're not beholden to advertisers the way networks are here in the U.S., which is possibly why we get things like Sherlock, which, but we have elementary here, so who knows. But it is, it is a different way of producing content. Um, and there are fully commercial networks available in the U.K., like Sky and Dave and... But alongside them are BBC One, Two, Three, the government-funded and operated content creation channels. And for people in the UK who pay their television license, they have the web-based player that for a certain period of time after a show has gone live, they can replay in a Netflix-like application, play on demand the shows that have recently aired on the BBC. And they're looking at launching an American version for pay service, which I will be first in line to subscribe to. Because I've been waiting for this for the long time. Because I may or may not have been using the Onion router to route my IP into a UK IP to use the, IP, uh, the iPlayer for, I don't know, years now to watch <laughs> BBC content as it has become available. And I will happily pay money for this service now that they are planning on making it available to U.S. viewers. Um, they've had deals with Hulu and Netflix to make some of their shows available via other you know, for-pay versions, but this will be the BBC-branded version of, hey, we want to infuse our network with more money world, here's our content, please pay us money and we will give you our shows. And I will, I cannot wait until this becomes available. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we'll have to wait till we get a little more details on it because there's definitely some shows on the BBC I enjoy and then there's probably quite a few that I could care less about. So, you're you not, know. You're not British enough for EastEnders, Okay. Right, right. I, I guess I'm not. So, I mean, it'll, you know, if it's if it's reasonably priced, I'll definitely subscribe. If it's not, then I'll continue to wait for it, you know, assuming they still will eventually trickle to Netflix or whatever other service. Uh, but it's, it's, I mean, it's the way of the world. I was on CBS today, their website, and they're just about to kick off their paid service to allow you to stream all of their shows. 
uh, in a month. Interestingly, right on the tail of Late Show with Stephen Colbert launching. Uh-huh. Hmm, go figure. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it's basically there. And of course, you get a f- the first hits free, get your first free month as right as the fall season is kicking off for them. Yeah. So, but I mean, in my actually, I mean, not that I have much interest in subscribing to CBS. I will just go buy an antenna for that. <laughs> it's and I have the antenna hanging off the side of the house right now. Yeah. And in a tangent, uh, the the new video servers are due to arrive tomorrow. Yay! Which should free up one of my i five systems to become my DVR again. Woo-hoo. And I should be able to get things like Late Show with Stephen Colbert um, right off my good old-fashioned AT, uh, HD antenna. Um, but to go further afield, I, I hope more content creation networks go the way of, hey, give us a couple of bucks and we will make our stuff available to you on demand. Because I would love a world where I become addicted to a soap opera from Singapore just because someone in Singapore created a show that resonates with me, a middle-aged American dude from Arizona. Whatever they did that make me interested, I, I want to be able to say, here's money, give me your content, and that, that's the beautiful thing that the internet can bring us is to connect creators to consumers and allow us to support people who create whatever the heck it is we're interested in, be it sci-fi, fantasy, soap opera, whatever, um, allows us to tune in for only what we want and no more, and lets us support the creators we love, and lets the creator find the audience and allow that, that transaction of, here's some cash, Keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to be a blockbuster. You don't have to be the new national sensation of whatever nation you're in. You found your national audience. That was enough to let you keep creating what you're creating. I want more of that. And I'm seeing the seeds of that with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon creating original content targeted for very small demographics where the NBC, ABCs, and CBSs of the world would never have gone for the man in the high tower because it has a limited appeal, but it's totally enough for Amazon to say, yes, we can make enough money on this to fund it and make a tidy profit, and why wouldn't we do it? Where NBC would say, well, no, it doesn't have 13 million viewers per week, therefore we are not interested. In this new world, we get The Man in the High Tower produced as a series. And yes, it gets 3 million viewers per episode, which is plenty for Netflix to say, great, we're making a profit, great, let's make more like this. Where the old school bottle would have, would have never looked twice at it and said, no, cancel it, it's gone. It would have gone the way of, the way of Firefly. Yeah. So I'm hoping, and early indications are good, Looking at you, Daredevil, and looking at you, Transgender, looking at you, you know, the pilot version of Man in the High Castle. Um, He's in that castle now? High Tower, excuse me. <laughs> I'm waiting for the man in the high chair. Fine. The sil- <laughs> silver chair, what? Exactly. C.S. Lewis, who? Um, 
but the the new the new world order where the content creators can find enough of an audience where before they had to find most of the audience to keep going now they can find enough and and i look forward to the day where you know bob's country music jamboree gets produced and and finds its audience i could not care less about bob's country music jamboree but there's millions of people who do great there's your content i'm over here with the sci-fi fantasy crowd, and we have found our little niche. And everyone gets what they want. The content creators get to make a living. The content consumers get to be happy and entertained. More like that. And BBC saying, hey, iPlayer, now available for the world, great. Without having to do weird you know, backflips through Tor and, you know, and, and things that make you feel slightly dirty for... I'm impersonating a, a a member of the UK to get my content because there's no other way I can get it right now. I and I love it when they provide me a legit way where I can say, "Here's money, give me your stuff, and please make more like this." Yeah, I think it's uh you know it's the way of the future, and I think companies are smart to start trying to embrace it rather than fight it. Uh, obviously, they'll they'll get more money in the end that way. Uh, I, I think the one interesting thing will be also how much because you're creating all these niches and because you're able to go out and find something that's exactly what you want or it gives you exactly what you want and other things like exactly what you want, will we lose some ability to find new stuff? Or, like, be exposed to new things that you wouldn't normally see. You do have the danger of the search bubble. Right. Um, it's the same phenomenon that they, they talk about, like, on Facebook, where people tend to have people in their news feed and friends that share their views. Yeah. And it's rare, then, that you'll see other views, because if you see that, normally people stop following them if they don't agree or, or whatever. The echo chamber right. becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, that that is a definite danger, but I have a hard time seeing that as a bad thing right now. Sure, when you're getting inundated with all the stuff you want, <laughs> we're in kind of the honeymoon period of for all of our developmental and adult lives up until call it five years ago. All we really had available was what the major networks and major movie studios were willing to produce and were hoping would make profit. And they were such gargantuan organizations that they were looking for to make like Titanic and Avatar levels of profit. And if they weren't a blockbuster, they were considered marginal failures. And the attitude shift when you look at Netflix saying, no, House of Cards, we're going to take this British political drama, adapt it for U.S. audiences, and hope it finds its audience. And okay, it became a phenomenon, but you look at the numbers of House of Cards versus something like the Cosby Show. Oh, and, well, yeah. And it's a small fraction of what they used to determine was a success. 
where NBC said, yay, Cosby Show is a raging success because mm, 70% of the population of the United States is watching this every Thursday. House of Cards, okay, 32% of the United States is binge-watching this thing the moment we release it, but it is still a very a much smaller percentage of what used to be considered a raging success and yet is more than enough to fund many seasons to come and have it be considered a success in the new framework. And the new, sure. fr the new framework allows for lots more variety to be created. Right. No, no. I'm not, I mean, I, again, I, I, I think there's value there. I would say that some of that stuff had been done much longer than five years because I think HBO and a lot of cable companies were already producing things that were definitely different from what you'd see on network television. But I think my point is, is as we keep getting more specialized, you know, once even Netflix becomes too general of a of a station, and people go, you know, I'm I watch Crunchyroll. That's it, <laughs> and all I watch is anime, and that's where I get my you know fix. And maybe I have one or two other apps that are also anime s servers, and you know, you then never are exposed to something else. Same thing for like you know I, whatever sci-fi the the country banjo show you were talking about. <laughs> I mean, if they start getting these Bob's networks country out there, music jamboree, right? What are you talking jam about? If, if the jamboree and the hoedown app and the you know sleep with my cousin app all come out at the same time, then. You, you, they, you may never have somebody see a show like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or, you know, some of these other things that are incredibly great pieces of uh, TV or film. And so, I mean, I think that's just a, a concern. But it really also then falls back on these companies that are making these niches to figure out a way to advertise them and to bring new people in. Well, I hope we can have both. Yeah. Um, I hope that good storytelling will out no matter what. So if somebody has a well-crafted, compelling, and engrossing story to tell that they release it via whatever outlet they partner up with, but that the gatekeepers of all the different outlets will, will make note of, hey... This is the next Breaking Bad. Sure. This is a guaranteed success because we've been here before. We've seen this quality before. Now it could be lost where it starts strong and goes where exactly? Yeah. Well, obviously you always have that issue. And I mean, yeah, story always trumps everything. I mean, you could take the story of Daredevil and take out the superhero aspect and it would still be a compelling story. It still is great storytelling. Which right. segues into another recent release. <laughs> well done. Um, we had the pre-trailer-ish thingy that Netflix put out as the teaser for Jessica Jones, which is the next Marvel Universe Hell's Kitchen leading to the Defenders movie uh, show coming later this year. The trailer was very abstract, to say the least. Um, had basically graphical, drawn imagery with some dialogue over it. 
which kind of gave you a, a vibe, but really didn't tell you jack right. about the story to come. Uh, since then, we've had a few still photos of, hey, here's Jessica, here's the purple man, David Tennant, woohoo! Um, so they're, they're the machine of promoting, hey, pay attention, late November, Jessica Jones, Marvel, Marvel, is yeah. coming, but they've been really holding back on the here's exactly what to expect. You know, Daredevil at this point, you had at least an idea where you had melee combat superhero blind dude. Well, I mean, that's because most people, you know, thanks to uh, Ben Affleck and just general knowledge of even a a comic can tell you who Daredevil basically is. With Jessica Jones, you don't have that. But I mean, you know, literally... I logged in one morning to Netflix and it was like, oh, by the way, we have Daredevil up here. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I, like, I had no idea when it was coming. I was yep. just like, okay, well, I'll start watching it. And then it was like, oh my God, this is incredible. So, I, I mean, I'm guessing it's probably going to be the same for me with Jessica Jones, where like one day I will fire up Netflix and it will say, hey, Jessica Jones is now available. And I will go, okay, I shall dive in and give it a shot. And, and you, have, you, you may have just illustrated the power and the beauty of new media where there no longer needs to be a multi-million dollar promotional campaign to get your interest. They've already done their job. They have you signing into Netflix to receive some of your entertainment. And all they have to do is say, hey, our algorithm says you may be interested in Jessica Jones. And that'll be enough for you and millions like you to tune in, and if they do a good job making Jessica Jones a good series, we're done. Everyone's tuning in because you did a good job, you told a good story, you made a good show. Sure. I mean, in general, I agree with that statement. I would say that Daredevil and Jessica Jones does have a million-dollar campaign. It's called The Avengers and Marvel (laughs) Studios (laughs) that basically make everybody go, oh, my God, it had Marvel on it. I have to now apparently watch this. (laughs) You are not wrong. So they they do benefit from that. But, yes, some of the other shows on uh, Netflix have definitely been like, hey, Netflix, I mean – this is the power of have having great shows on there, or at least having more hits than misses. Is that if I if a show comes up and it says Netflix Originals, I tend to look at it like yeah. much more intently than I would just some random TV show or some random movie that's on there. I mean, I, I, my my counterbalance to you would be Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had a tremendous legacy and a multi million dollar promotional campaign behind sure. it. And it still sucked dead air. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. So I mean, we can you, go back you, to our Phantom Menace discussion. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you can screw this up. Oh, easily. And, easily. And part of the back of my brain is, is really waiting for Marvel's first misstep. Flop, yeah. So far, remarkably, they really haven't. No, I mean, for me, like... Iron Man 2 maybe was like not awesome. No. But still good. I mean, I didn't have it wasn't weakest, like I would weakest amongst a a crop yeah. of strong propositions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and but even being weak, it was not like, oh my god, what are these people doing? Weak. It was more just like, eh, that could have been better. Right. I was. I was still entertained. Sure. I wasn't Jupiter ascending or robot shop <laughs> disgusted. <laughs> Jupiter ascending was so bad. And that was probably the worst movie I've seen in the last several years. It's what? It, how the mighty have fallen? How could you go? From powerhouse storytelling to what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. And it just, it, it oof. And it's a weird look behind the curtain of how random and uh, capricious success can be in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because in Jupiter setting, the, the elements of an interesting story... They were all there. They're just really, really, really badly executed. Really badly executed. Like deliberately and cynically badly executed. And like, you know, and the sad thing is like, it was one of those things like on paper, you know, sounded like an interesting concept. You bet. Cast looked pretty good. Yep. No issues there, and you're thinking like, okay, like I swear to God, they they storyboarded the entire thing out, hired the cast, got everybody together, and then went, you know, maybe we should get a scriptwriter. Yeah, (laughs) is what it felt like because the story was the most incoherent, stupid piece of crap, and then some of the most cliche things ever in movies. I mean, I guess the one thing I'll give it, Sean Bean did not die. Yes, that's got to be a first. That so that's that's first. impressive when that happens. <laughs> just saying, yeah. I mean, I'm part of me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not a studio exec. I am not a director or a producer. I'm not Joss Whedon. So I, I, I have no. I can't speak with any authority. I just. I just. I know what I like when I see it. Sure. And that wasn't. <laughs> um no. So it it is with some trepidation. <laughs> That I look at Brian Singer's next next um, X Men. Yeah, well, he's 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 more or less wrapped on X Men Apocalypse, right? And some of the early imagery from that are like, okay, um, and- <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that one I'm 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 holding out the good hope. Like, I'm hoping again. This has got the established cast yep. of. Of people that I know can do the roles, mostly first class style people. It's going to be set in the eighties. So sure, it's the younger cast with a little bit of of yeah, Patrick but Stewart I, I like, in for sauce. Yeah, but I like the younger cast, so well, I'm they've totally nailed it. That, I'm uh, perfectly happy with Fassbender, um, McAvoy, or is that his McAvoy, James? Yeah, James McAvoy, James McAvoy, the, uh, non, the guy non, that plays Charles Xavier. Yeah, the the guy who plays uh, Beast as well. I really like him. I mean, I just watched Fury Road again, so I'm like super big on that actor right now. <laughs> um, because that, I mean, that, you know, talking about Jupiter Ascending, like both of those were very visual movies, but Mad Max was like a million. To, like, I don't even, there's not even a mathematical symbol I can give it for how much yeah. better it was. The, <laughs> I don't, some, I mean, George Miller. Man, he knows his audience and and the timing of it. I don't know why it resonated so well with me. It was like I stepped directly from Road Warrior straight into Fury Road and didn't skip a beat and 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 blocked 
Thunderdome right out of my brain. Yeah, yeah, I had no problem letting that gun go. But for me, it was just, I don't know, they, he really embraced his world. Yeah. And everything in it was so over the top, but in such a correct way, it all fit together. And you have these little lines in it were like... Right. I mean, but they're like on this, they run that razor edge between awesome and so cheesy it's unbelievable. But why did, I I can't enumerate why they didn't cross the line because, my God, they were tap dancing on the line for more or less the entire film. Oh, yeah. It was it was amazing, and, yeah, but I mean, they never it, lost it, me. It was great. Yeah, it was great. I and mean, we actually we turned subtitles on. <laughs> like some of the subtitles are awesome. Like I missed a lot of lines because no, everybody's I, talking in thick accents. See, and I work, I, I work and live in a house with a five year old and a special needs twelve year old. Right. Captions have been on for seven years. Now yeah. <laughs> because there's always interruptions. There's always noise. Right. And it's just become our normal mode of just captions are always on. And it's illustrated to me how much you do miss. Sure. Because of accents or bad sound design or. Well, or just the fact there's a million things exploding or so much stuff going on. It's hard to sometimes hear the little comments that are thrown out there as well. Like during the, like to me, one of visually, one of the best scenes composition wise put together is from you've seen it in the previews it's it's pretty much the scene where the guy is taking some bolts in him he sprays himself he screams witness me and witness he dives me! out and with a you know two pikes that have explosive tips on them and just jams that car it's an amazing scene just to watch it how well put together it is yeah. and everybody screams and cheers and at the very tail end two guys go mediocre yeah. <laughs> I totally missed that. Yep. Mediocre. Like, you could t- completely not hear it. That that and the fact that the subtitles also anytime the Doof Warrior was rocking out, <laughs> it actually tried to say what type of music he was playing. Yep. So it was like guitar rift, metal guitar rift, <laughs> like menacing guitar rift with flamethrower. <laughs> it was like that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so good. No, I I I, I have a weird cuddly, warm place in my heart for Fury Road. That, oh. and there, yeah. There's nothing warm, fuzzy, or cuddly about that entire production. It is horror from one end to the other. And yet, what a lovely day. I, yeah. mean, just, and that's, I guess that's it. I guess you, you just kind of fall in and embrace it so yeah. easily that... Uh, you know, that, or at least the majority of people do. Uh, Daxa still has a lot of story issues with it, so she's only half on board the the Fury Road Express. <laughs> Don't overthink it, my God. Right, right. But Brian Singer of X Men and X Two and X Men uh, Days of Future Past fame, and also kind of sort of Superman Returns, but we do not speak of it. Um, <sighs> next project. A reboot and reimagining of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm having a harder time getting excited about this one. I just, I don't, 
And I mean, they've they've kind of lost me now. Especially, I'll, I'll tell you what put the dagger in it. Like, I'm a huge fan of The Rock. I I love him in just about everything he does. I've enjoyed the movie, even if the movie sucked. I've enjoyed it because he's in it. His show on HBO Ballers is amazing. If you're into football, it is worth watching. It's hilarious and and really well put together. Look at the out of football stuff that goes on. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of his. But as soon as they started saying they were rebooting Big Trouble in Little China with him starring as Jack Burton, <sighs> like it was like, why? Why does why do all of these have to be reboots? Right. I have no problem with you reimagining it by continuing on the story. I mean, as as bad as Superman Returns was, at least I respected it for what it tried to do. Yes. I love I there are parts of Superman Returns, I love the fact that it basically was a continuation of the Richard Donner Superman 2. Right. And held true to all the story elements from that era and attempted to update Lex Luthor and attempted right. to continue Kal El through. And in that framework, I enjoyed it. But it's not what. You know, 2013 me wanted right from a Superman film, and say what you will about Man of Steel and its dramatic reimagining and changes to the origin story of Superman, where you have a Pa Kent who is all down on no, you must hide, conceal. And uh, don't don't tell the world hates you. You should not enjoy what you are, for for we will fear you. And 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 there appears to be a continuation of that through to Batman v Superman, where they have in the trailer Ma Kent saying, "You owe this world nothing," and that is so diametrically opposed to the Boy Scout version of Superman that has been the mainstay of the comics and definitely the mainstay of the movies up through Man of Steel. Sure. And yet, I ate it up like a starving man at a buffet. And I'm not ashamed to say that I really embraced the differences because I'm so tired of seeing origin stories. If I... The the little bits of... Bruce Wayne origin that they've hinted at in the trailers for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice turn my stomach. I know how Batman became Batman. You don't need to show it to me again. Yeah, and uh, you know, with superhero movies, I think that's that's definitely an issue. But I'm more talking about the reboots of non-superhero movies. So there's a lot of back and forth or and I don't even know if this is just blown up controversy or real controversy around like the Ghostbuster reboot because it's an all female cast and again I'm 100% cool with that but why wouldn't you make it like pass the torch to this cast right. instead of saying this is the new Venkman and the new uh, I don't even remember all their names <laughs> Winston well, and all, all, all the rest of them like, I don't get that piece of it. And it's not entirely clear that that's not exactly what they're doing because B 
Bill Murray has signed on for a role that they've said is not Peter Venkman. Right. Well, isn't that again? Then, then that that already lost me. But 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 Bandersnatch Cumberbund was not Khan. That's in true. Star Trek Into Darkness either. So well, and I guess it's more that every press piece that I've seen on it has said this is a reboot. So when you see reboot, you tend to think, okay, they're basically taking the original story and retelling it with maybe some changes, but it's a retelling of the story, not a continuation of the story. And that is, that's my expectation of the, the new Ghostbusters film. Right. I hope part of me really hopes that they ambush me with the but no, it's actually a continuation, and they are, in fact, yeah. passing the torch. That, to me, would be a coup. Yeah. Where if they could sneak up on us and conceal that from us and have it be the big reveal when the movie releases of, ha-ha, it's not a reboot. It is, in fact, a continuation, and it's awesome. Right. And, you know, and a lot of the other, like, you know, if it was called Bigger Trouble in Little China and right. The Rock just happened to be walking through Little China and stuff went down that was, you know, in that same universe, but not a he's not Jack Burton. I'm OK with it. That's perfectly fine. Hey, I'll eat, eat that cheesiness up. No problem. Yeah. I mean, making sequels or reboots to cheesy cult classic films that's hard oh yeah because doing cheesy cultiness deliberately has never to date anyway worked no it's something that just kind of happens yeah you can't force it you can't force something like um, Evil Dead 2 Right. It, well, I guess you could because Army of Darkness was totally forced and was awesome, but nonetheless. <laughs> see, that wasn't, they weren't trying to remake Evil right. Dead 2. They were saying, oh, we have something here. Let's run with it. Yeah, let's roll then. But it all out. Army of Darkness is a, has a very different flavor sure. to Evil Dead 2. Evil yeah. Dead 2 was actually trying. Yeah, they were meant to be a horror movie. And with... they missed the mark in the most awesome way possible. Right. Army of Darkness was like, this is what we are now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we missed the mark, but now we know where the mark is. Right. And we're going to just stay with where we hit. <laughs> this is my boomstick. Yeah, and I mean, great. so. But yeah, in other cases where they have tried to even... You know, like the Total Recall reboot, which I refuse to watch. Yeah, me too. Uh, it, has, it has negative interest in my book. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of say Even, you know, the the Conan uh, reboot with, uh, God, what's his name? Aquaman. Uh, um, yeah. And the, the Cal, yeah. Cal, Cal, Cal Drago. We'll, we'll just refer um, to him as that. From, uh, Jason Momoa. Thank you. So oh, Jason, Mo- like he was just here at Comic Con. Uh, so Jason Momoa, who was good in it, but it was a terrible story, and again, it just didn't work. So there's, you know, it's it's a frustrating thing for me to to see Hollywood seeming to try to systematically destroy my childhood. <laughs> and and uh, just. I'm looking at things like Clash of the Titans. Like, did you really need to mess with that? Yes, the original. It was it was freaking 
Harryhausen stop action animation and such a creature of its time. And yeah, you remade it with dude from Terminator Genesis and whatever. And this, the, 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 the fumes I have coming off of this 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Brian Singer thing is like, oh God, this feels like Clash of the Titans. Yeah. And maybe they'll surprise me. I mean, it's, it's, I know why the studio is interested because the studio is like, oh, good, public domain. Yay, source material we don't have to pay royalties for. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, and, you know, Captain Nemo. Okay, awesome archetype. To me, he was the one kind of interesting part of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, yeah, he was pretty cool. He was pretty damn cool, and his tech was cool, and... If I could just pay attention to Nemo and nothing else in that film, then I'd have a good film. But unfortunately, Sean Connery's there, and and things happen. And yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, outside of the Sean Connery and what was it, Tom Sawyer? Uh, yeah, those two were like the most of the movie, and they were also really, really bad. So that really was the problem I think I had with the movie. But the other supporting people were all really good. (laughs) Jekyll and Hyde were fun and well done. Invisible Man was fun. The the vampire lady, uh, Dorian Gray. I mean, I I think I liked every other person in that movie. (laughs) But Connery and Tom Sawyer. But the two main them. people that were on screen most of the time. So <laughs> I'm hopeful. Yeah. I mean, Singer Singer has wounded me in the past. Superman Returns. Um, so I'm I'm less. The Abrams has never really delivered a dud to me. So I look right. at Episode Seven and say, okay, cautiously optimistic. I look at 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and say, uh, yeah, Superman Returns. Um, I hope I am wrong. I hope it is a, a revival of 19th century fantasy sci-fi converted into film and is a triumphant success. Right. My inner nerd says no. Nope. Steer away. Seek elsewhere for your entertainment. Um and sadly, uh, I'm going to have to seek elsewhere for my giant freaking robot entertainment because due to a really complex series of events, and I'll link to this in the show notes, um, of trading of IPs back and forth between different studios, Legendary Pictures and Universal, on one hand, it looks like we're going to get a high-dollar... U.S. produced Godzilla versus King Kong movie at some point, Ugh. which Tohei has done in the past really badly. <laughs> but it's the King Kong versus Godzilla film exists if you want to go seek it out. But don't yeah, with two different endings. Yes, very yeah. very different. But. Yeah, I don't know about that one, just because if they're using the King Kong from the latest King Kong reboot, the one with like Jack Black and uh, Naomi Watts in it, and then they use the Godzilla from like the most recent Godzilla film, I'm pretty sure the scale of Godzilla <laughs> is a little bit bigger than the scale of King Kong. <laughs> 
from my reading of the article, it will be the Godzilla we were reintroduced to in the most recent movie with a rebooted version of Kong. So it'll okay, because yeah, I mean Godzilla in the reboot was freaking huge, huge. Like he would just step on the, the most recent version of King Kong. It would be a very fast movie. Hey, Monkey Boy, Atomic Death Breath, and we're done. Yeah, like we're not even gonna play games. I'm just gonna tail whip you halfway across no. the planet. So we'll, we'll get a, a new Kong film first, which will very likely scale him up. To yeah. Godzilla size, and then we'll get a Kong v Godzilla movie later. But as a side effect of right. all this rejiggering, the Pacific Rim Two project has been put on air quotes indefinite hold. Basically, they said no, we're going to use this money for this Kong Godzilla thing, and Guillermo uh, run along and do something else. Yeah, which kind of bums me out because Pacific Rim struck me as one of those things which would probably have benefited from the second treatment where they could have improved upon the glaring shortcomings and I love Pacific Rim. I go back and I rewatch it and I will be the first to acknowledge massive plot holes really profoundly bad acting in some sections and yet Big freaking Mecca and Idris Elba make up for it at every turn. Yeah, it. Oof, I I couldn't stand it. <laughs> like it just, and I don't know. I mean, and it's and funny I, and that I, this and is, I don't feel any urge to argue with you. Yeah, at all because I get it. It has. I mean, issues. no. I mean, I I love Idris Elba. I think he's amazing. I, another. I mean, really. I would be a hundred million times percent cool if he's the next Bond. Like that would be a uh, great. In I my book. so want that to happen. So I love him. Big robots are cool, and I even like the guy. Uh, I always forget his name, but he's played Jax on Sons of Anarchy. He was the main character, the blonde guy. Like, he, I mean, his entire role in the movie was to be angsty, brooding. But nonetheless, and, and, and he totally nailed it. I, I like him, and. I like Charlie Day outside of that movie, but he was god-awful in that His movie. His character was one of the low points. Oh, so bad. And, and Frogmouth Boy from Torchwood, who is his opposite yeah. number. I like him. And yeah. there were bits of the performance that I got, but it was a little too over the top for me. Yeah. That, that dynamic between the two of them, the kaiju fanboy and the right. hard scientist... Could have been a very entertaining subplot. Instead, it was kind of a, yeah, can we get past this and back to the big freaking robot again, please? Pretty much. like that, I mean, maybe that's just one of the problems of big, super, giant robots fighting monster movie is that really nobody wants to see anything other than the big, giant robots fighting the, the big monsters. Well, if they could just get rid of the, the enormous plot holes of, okay... The aliens from the other dimension are emerging from a fixed, yeah. unchanging point on the planet where you always know they're going to come from. Why it, is that area not surrounded by thermonuclear devices? Yeah, and I mean, and again, like this, and that type of movie 
usually drives me up a wall to where I don't like it when it has that type of glaring stuff, which is always why I go back. Like, I have no idea why Mad Max works so well for me because it has ex- as many plot holes to it as they're, anything they're, else. They're less profound. I mean, because they, they could have thrown a stupid, dumb MacGuffin in there. Oh, yeah. The rift generates a field that prevents all electronics for working, sure. from working for 1,200 miles in all directions. Therefore, we have to build our fortifications at the coastlines. That would have been 12 seconds of exposition that would have rubbed all of the stupid off of the, this is why we fight them with giant freaking robots. Right. And they couldn't be bothered to throw that stupid MacGuffin in there. Yeah, yeah. No, and there, yeah, there, there, there was a lot. Like I said, I've only watched it once, so and that was enough. I don't think I'll ever watch that again. But I, I agree that there are pieces to that movie that were good, or conceptually were good, right. that a second maybe they could have fixed a lot of that, those issues. And made it interesting. And see, I was hoping that with their their second dip into the trough, they could have made a more well-rounded. Wow, I'm doing well. Well-rounded movie with fewer plot holes, with just as much fan service and and awesome robot battles with a little less of the stupid. Yeah. But that's now indefinitely. Um, on the horizon and may you know, may go the way of the Hellboy 3 where we always kind of pine against it and we'll never actually see it. Sure. Um, speak. oh God, our freaking autoplay, God damn it. No, <laughs> no, I didn't want to follow your ad. I wanted to stop your video. Nah. <laughs> um, speaking of major Hollywood productions on the horizon, um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 not due until 2017, um, but James Gunn, who was helming the sequel to his very successful original Guardians of the Galaxy, um, has taken to the tweeters to indicate certain things that will not be happening in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 to quell some rampant uh, fan speculation. What I gather from this is... Marvel comic book fans and Marvel animated movie fans really, really, really want to see Planet Hulk. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. And I understand the desire because Planet Hulk and the and World War Hulk, which resulted directly from Planet Hulk, were really fun comic book and. Planet Hulk was adapted to a very good, um, almost as good as most of the DC animated film adaptation to animated film. Mm-hmm. Had, had freaking Beta Ray Bill in it. Right. Can't be all bad. Beta Ray freaking Bill. And James Gunn is basically responding to tweets about, hey, we're going to be, since we saw the Hulk basically written out of the Avengers timeline in Age of Ultron, and there have been statements saying that they had toyed with including him in Civil War and eventually had written him out. Will we next be seeing the Hulk in Guardians of the Galaxy? And James Gunn says, no. 
I will comment on it now, as I've done before. There is zero chance you will see Hulk in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. So say what you will about what you expect to see in Guardians of the Galaxy. <coughs> Peter Quill's dad. Um, you will not be seeing Hulk. He says, for the time being, it's important to me that Quill is the sole her- human earthling character. Okay. I get that. Fish out of water. He is, yeah. he is our one link to the Marvel Cosmic Universe. That begs the question of, okay, where is Marvel going to deploy Hulk next? Because Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner slash Hulk very popular. Yeah. So why would they not want to utilize him? Now, it sounds like they attempted to utilize him in Civil War, and it just didn't fit and didn't work. And kudos to them to say, we're going to cut this potentially fan servicey popular thing because we think the story is better without it. That's a hard decision to make. Sure. But where are we going to see him again? Because you can't leave him fallow. He's the freaking incredible Hulk. Right. So if not in Guardians of the Galaxy, then where they've signed signed Mark Ruffalo to I thought it was a seven movie deal that includes small cameo appearances like he did in Iron Man three. Literally, one of his movies was eaten up by his post credit sequence of chit chatting with uh, Tony Stark. Right. So when you say seven movie deal, okay, well check off one of them with the post-credit sequence, because technically that was a movie he appeared in for Disney Marvel. But you would assume they plan to use him more, but there's no Hulk movie on the official Phase 3 timeline. So where are we going to see him? I'm, I'm, I'm curious and eager to see more of him, because I really love, you know, way more than I ever liked Ed Norton in the role, Sure. Mark Ruffalo's version of Bruce Banner. And I'm curious. I want him, I want some resolution to the Black Widow, Bruce Banner, potential romance that they teased and cut off viciously in Age of Ultron. Um, and, you know, James Gunn goes on to say, I, as I've said many times, it's one of my goals to get a higher percentage of female heroes and villains right. out there. So we'll see other new characters Captain Marvel yeah um, but that's you know, the obvious one and I mean yeah, and, and there's a Captain Marvel movie on the slate right after Infinity War and please God cast Katie Sackhoff and call it a day okay she's, she's it but we'll see yeah she'd be a, a, a fun fun Captain Marvel I mean I know uh Oh God! What's her? Ronda Rousey's been campaigning for it, <laughs> uh, and she's definitely got the build for you it. You think uh, more can, so than I think than anybody else? Can but she act because because well, Katie Sackhoff can bulk up, and we yeah, know, and we know she I watched can act. The, the Expendables three not too long ago, and Ronda Rousey is in that, 
And she does. Uh, she's in it. She says some lines, <laughs> and she speaks yeah. English. <laughs> it, it, well, I mean, it's an Expendables movie, so I would say she the, was no worse than a lot of the other things happening around her. But the bar is not high. But the bar was pretty low. <laughs> like she definitely, you know, probably would need to uh, uh, kind of improve on that aspect of her game. Uh, but yeah, otherwise she, she, she has the body type. She has the, I mean, she is physically Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers without any issue right now. That is, I mean, Marvel comes under you know, mathematically justifiable criticism. Sure. That there are not enough strong female characters in their movies. Now, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, and you've got Nebula, and so you have a strong villain character yeah. who is very obviously being set up to be a continuing antagonist in future films. Sure. Um, why am I drawing... Gamora? Thank you. <laughs> Trying a total blank on the major female character in the movie. Right. Um, Gamora is a very strong female character, and I love the fact that she is having none of Peter Quill's bullshit um, or pelvic sorcery, as she right as she memorably delivers. Um, Nova Prime, you know, is a, a side female character, but uh, a presence. Yeah. Yeah, they but still you know is definitely a male lead. I mean, the story is a Peter Quill Star Lord story. Right. Um, so if they bring in some of the and in the mythos of the Marvel Galactic Cosmic Universe, there's no shortage of very strong female characters they can write into Guardians very easily. Um, and in in these tweets, uh, James Gunn basically intimates that he plans to bring some of them into the fold. Um, I would hope so. And again, you know, for me, especially when you're dealing with the multi or the universe or, or whatever within Marvel, uh, as long as it's not a rights issue, the Shatar Empire really has some of the the heavy hitters on both the villain and the the heroine side of of strong female characters. Well, especially if they basically go go the route of okay, the Chachari are now the scrolls. Right. Because the Chachari are basically the scrolls of the ultimate universe. Yeah. And with the new secret wars that are currently concluding over at Marvel on the comic book side, Marvel is very obviously repositioning their entire multiverse to match, not perfectly, but more closely with the cinematic universe. They're coming out of the secret wars with the Inhumans being a much bigger, much more prominent part of the comic book universe and minimizing mutants, eliminating the Fantastic Four entirely because the title is not going to continue beyond Secret Wars. They've rolled the Thing and Human Torch into other titles 
the Uncanny Inhumans and another Inhuman centric mm-hmm. title, and they're positioning the Inhumans as as the mutant equivalent in Agents of Shield. Yeah. So basically, saying, okay, fine, Fox, you're not going to play ball and let us buy the rights to mutants back from you. Then we're not going to have mutants be a thing anymore. So going forward, all bets are off. There's no reason why they can't basically give the Chitauri all of the aspects and story elements that were previously attributed to the Skrulls because the Skrulls were basically sold to Fox as part of the Fantastic Four universe. Right. So any you can basically look at any character that was Skrull-related, and, and it can be reimagined as and you know looking at trying to bring more f- good strong female characters in they can be reimagined as just change the name from scroll to Chitari and we're ready to go and i'm expecting to see more of that going forward but the really the only marvel cosmic universe property we have is guardians of the galaxy we have Doctor Strange coming soon to introduce the whole mystical, magical end of things. Right. Um, we had Ant-Man that was pretty much very firmly in the technology Iron Man-ish side of things. Sure. Though indications are that the when he went subatomic, yeah. that will be... Yeah, he was subatomic, but he was also in the spiritual realm without even really knowing it. Um, is is some hints that they have dropped of, hey, this is not all that different to what Stephen Strange will see when he engages the Eye of Agamotto and sees the you know the realm between dimensions, and you just Ant Man got to it via technology. Stephen Strange gets to it via, via magic and spirituality, but hey, it's all one big happy universe. Hmm. Um, we'll see if that's actually true or if that's just fans projecting their desires upon the writers um, so but the the argument that there aren't enough I mean I was kind of annoyed with a lot of the hemming and hawing I saw with people saying well, oh Scarlett Johansson was, was reduced to just a romantic interest in, in Age of Ultron no she freaking kicked ass took names and and was herself and merely because she developed an attraction for Bruce Banner you think that somehow diminishes her I feel like that's a bridge too far right I di- I didn't feel that, that that took anything away from her as a character and in fact gave them the two of them an interesting an interesting story arc where there's a whole sequence with her and Bruce at Hawkeye's you know, secret family home where she basically puts herself out there and says, I think I can have a life with you. Right. All of my previous damage and history, I'm going to take this leap and say, I will disappear with you because I'm more interested in being with you than being with anyone else. Right. And he shuts her down hard. 
because of his own fears and insecurities. And that's a very human, very painful story moment. And I've seen that thrown out as, by people saying, oh, that's just, you know, that somehow dismantles, you know, the, sh that, that she is defining herself by her man. And I'm like, no, that was her attempting to connect when she was really damaged by her upbringing and her history and was strong enough to say, I'm going to shoot for this. And it ended badly. The, the, how does that diminish the character of Romanoff at all? How is that her being less of a woman? I, I, I don't get that. And yet, yet I have seen that many times in many different write-ups portrayed as a somehow diminishing the character of Natasha Romanoff in the Marvel Universe. And I don't, hmm. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see that that makes her less of a person because it could very easily have been flipped around where Bruce would be reaching out for someone to support him in his fears and um, uncertainty about the future. And, and Natasha saying, no, I'm damaged and I, I hurt everyone I touch and you, you, you can't get near me. And it, would, and it would work equally well as a story element. They just, they just chose to go with the opposite direction, where she reaches for him and he withdraws. Yeah, I, and I well, and that may be the argument. Then is that in that situation when you see this story, more often than not, it is the woman that's reaching out, and it's the man that then has the the ability to say, you know, Pikachu, I choose you, or <laughs> go go off and, you know, find uh, some other dude. So I, I would take it that that's the main uh, complaint on it, especially because she was up until that point, all the other movies with her in it were, she was displayed as somebody who was self-sufficient, self-content, and really was okay with, with what was going on. So and maybe they just didn't do a good enough job of showing that she was really affected by the implosion of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that kind of shook her her rock before kind of trying to latch on to the to uh, Bruce Banner was the fact she was latched on to S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fury. And that was her kind of stabilizing point for all of her past. And that's why she was able to do all the things she did and, and go about it with, uh, you know, almost a I don't care type attitude. And maybe maybe that was the the lacking part, which. I would I would agree with because overall, as much as I, I liked Ultron, the Age of Ultron, quite a bit, but it definitely felt frantic at its pace at times. Now, going and looking at the extended scenes in the digital release, I I wish it had been released in its full form. Yeah, because there was there was a much longer scene between Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff where there was a lot more back and forth and a lot more, hey, we're both vulnerable. Hey, you know, can we both get over ourselves and maybe find some stability and happiness between us? And that was very much shaved down 
for the theatrical release. Yeah, and it, that's the the entire movie felt. It, it felt a lot like when I watched the fourth Harry Potter, uh, Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. After reading the book, the book is is the biggest book in. I it think, is dense. It's a massive tomb. If it's not the longest book in the series, it is it is very Damn very close. close. Um, I think Deathly Hallows edges it out, but only barely. Right. Yeah. So. It was big and had a ton of great stuff that happens in it. And the movie that they put together basically felt like they flow charted it out and said, what's the critical path that we have to take to get through all this stuff, to get to the ending, to get Cedric Diggory killed and, you know, Voldemort returns. And that's the path they took. And everything in it was, it had a breakneck pace of like, get to the next scene, get get this next plot point done. And that's kind of some of the feeling I had with Ultron was that it was very like, go, go, we got to get to the next scene. There, there cannot be a wasted, shot in this movie yeah. no I, I I get the same same vibe especially so. after having seen the extended scenes yeah and I totally get it the pacing would have been very interrupted and I, but mm-hmm. I look this is this is a post Lord of the Rings era right where you know, I don't I don't know why every studio is not adopting the Peter Jackson model where let the director and writer shoot the long version that they want and then butcher the hell out of it to create the theatrical release, but also offer to sell us the Extended edition. Because you look at the genius of Peter Jackson, where during the filming of the three original, and I'm not going to speak about The Hobbit because it is an abomination before God, the original Lord of the Rings films, where they shot the full extended versions as the movie, along with a stupid amount of behind-the-scenes yeah. featurettes, and it was all very planned and very well executed, and they came out the other side with this huge mountain of content in the form of a long cut of the movie, a theatrical cut of the movie, and 100 million featurettes right. to adorn six different versions of the DVD and Blu-ray releases. And I think they're still raking in new profits from that to this day. Oh, yeah. Why are not all movies shot that way? Because we're in, we were talking earlier in the show about the new realm of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, where niche shows find their audience. Well, you can have a blockbuster well-received movie, some subset of that audience is going to be willing to pay six bucks extra for the stupendous, stupidly long, badly paced director's cut of the film. Why would you leave that money on the table? Yeah. You, You release the 1999 HD 
digital version, and also the $24.99 director's, you know, 40 minutes longer cut that everyone in the editing bay thought was slow-paced and bad. But if you get one quarter of your overall audience to pay that extra, you know, five bucks, why wouldn't you? No, please keep your money. We don't want to be wealthy. Yeah, but I, I think uh, most movies now, well, at least when I walk into a Target or Best Buy or wherever, and it's their new release day, come out with the two versions. It's the problem is, is the twenty four ninety nine version. The what is included vastly varies, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a few extra scenes where you go, "Wow, yeah, those scenes are horrible," and maybe like one audio commentary track if you're lucky, or and other times you get basically the Lord of the Rings treatment, which right. is huge wealth of stuff that comes with it. No, so th- my point is, they need to plan ahead for yeah. it and shoot the extra footage, even if you think it sucks, right. A significant percentage of your audience will not think it sucks. Oh, yeah. So remove yourself from the equation. Release the version you think is awesome. But also give people the option to buy the version that you think sucks. Because they will think it's awesome. Because there are people who look at the extended edition of The Two Towers and say, My God, this movie never ends. It just keeps going. Sure. And I look at the theatrical release of Two Towers and say, what the hell just happened? That sucked. Yeah. There were such high standards set by, by Fellowship of the Ring. What the hell happened? And then I saw the extended edition of Two Towers and said, oh, now it all makes sense. This is the movie they intended to shoot. Right. And I, w- I was that guy for that movie where the theatrical edition didn't do it for me and i felt really like oh god is return of the king gonna suck even harder than this did and when i went out and got the special extended edition dvd and watched that like oh i feel so much better and i can't wait to buy the extended edition of return of the king because i know it's gonna have all the stuff i want in it yeah and i just think why are not why are studios not doing this all the time for everything? I'm assuming the economics involved don't work. Um, we're not everyone is working with the multi million dollar budget of okay, we're doing Lord of the Rings, we're going whole hog. New Line says our whole entire studio is we're betting it on this one franchise. It's all in or nothing. Um, but I would I hope to see more. Like the, excuse me, <coughs> the Lord of the Rings approach of shoot too much, release it all, and people who want it will buy it, versus the we're going to only serve up the version that the executives thought was a good cut, and you will never see any of the other versions. You look back at Blade Runner, and how many different versions of Blade Runner were released over the years? Oh, God. Four or five. At least, yeah. And there are hardcore fans of all of the different versions. The original theatrical release where they went back against the director's wishes 
and put the, the Harrison Ford voiceover in. And you go to the final director's cut with all of that removed and a, yeah. a very different experience. And there's an audience for that as well. Yep. So why aren't you just giving us all of them? Because we have all these wonderful channels we can receive it through, and we will pick the version we like at the price point we like. And this is the 21st century. Gimme, gimme, gimme. It is, in fact, all about me. Just saying. For sure. And I've rendered Grail speechless. That's it. (laughs) Give us everything we could possibly want, always. That's the message. (laughs) Deliver all the things. Deliver on everything. Well, the the final news item from our list this week is the announcement that after this most recent season of Doctor Who, uh, Jenna Coleman, who plays Clara Oswald, will in fact actually be leaving this time instead of merely threatening to leave like she did last series. Um... Don't feel too bad about her because she's been hired to play Queen Victoria in a rather well-funded BBC production, uh, focusing on, obviously, young Queen Victoria because Jenna Coleman, not old, more sort of the uh, opposite. Uh, So we're about three days, I want to say, away from the premiere of the new series of Doctor Who with uh, Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. Yes. Uh, soon. And I believe she, she's on board for this entire series, and I'm assuming in the Christmas special this year will be written out uh, as is customary. As is customary. Yeah. <laughs> with, they, they, did, they did a head fake with us last year. Yes. Where they had all the setup. And apparently... At some point, she was actually leaving the series, and then they did a rewrite and a reshoot, and she was, oh, magically back in for one more year. Right. Um, but this time, it has been announced and confirmed by all parties involved. Yeah, she is out. Um, her character, I mean, I, I, I lose track of how how invested in Doctor Who is your household. Oh, yeah. we've We've been... We're, we're 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 down with the who. We're at least down with new who in terms of from nine on. So you've had the one Matt Smith season with Clara. Yes. And the one Peter Capaldi series with Clara. Yes. What are your feelings on Clara as a companion? I disliked her a lot during Matt Smith's tenure. Uh, I thought she didn't fit. I, I hated the whole girl that the impossible girl. I think was the the title for her. Uh, it just I don't know. It just never resonated. I mean, not that Matt Smith was ever one of my most favorite doctors, but nonetheless, uh, he was he was functional in his own way. Uh, but I didn't like her compare I, and. You know, she was a follow-up to some of the strongest companions in in the ponds. So, so she may have been detrimental from that too. The new doctor, Peter Capaldi, and her like grew on me a lot. I thought they worked really well because 
mainly because you had such an interesting balance between him being such a bastard and her trying to be like, no, you shouldn't be such a bastard. And yet at the same time, she was showing that she had the capability to be just as much of a bastard. She was devious and deceitful and hid things from him. And and I I liked that dynamic. Yeah. And the fact, you know, and then having Mr. Pink as kind of the, the final counterpoint to that to see be the the mirror basically for her to say hey you're the reason why you keep doing this is because you're just like him yep. and that was and i thought that that made a really interesting uh uh show especially you know ending with the last one of whether or not to blow up the moon and yeah. the, the whole fight around that so it was it was good i i think you know it they they play well off each other, so I'm I'm looking forward to another season with her to see how they take the characters because they definitely leave you interested to see you know which way is the needle going to move mm-hmm. <laughs> between them is is she going to become more like the doctor or is the doctor going to become less jaded well, and more like a, a human? Right near the end of last series, she basically pretended to be the doctor. Right. And nailed it. <laughs> and convinced a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they wrap up her, her storyline. She's, interestingly, the longest-serving companion since the reboot. Uh, really? And I hadn't even done that math. Uh, by, the, uh, by the time she's done, she will have been uh, the longest. Three seasons, yep. so. Because the pawns were two and a bit. Yeah, I know they were more than two, but I guess, yeah, they didn't make it through the full third. They were were eliminated partway through to make room for the impossible girl. Right. Um, And Billy Piper was just two seasons then, right? And then some guests. And a little bit. So, yeah. So if she makes it through the full season, as she's apparently contracted to do. Looks that way, yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Okay. I'm I'm hopeful because the... Last series had the typical on-again, off-again of new actor finding their footing with the Doctor. Sure. Um, I'm hoping that they get... <laughs> Stephen Moffat has done wonderful things. Mm-hmm. He brought us Sherlock, and he has, oh, yeah. he has carried on from Russell T. Davies and the Doctor Who. Yep. I'm just feeling like yeah, fresh blood um, might be time. Um yeah, I mean, or at least, you know, maybe keep him on in a more, like, higher-up supervisory role or, like... Producer. Over, yeah, producing, overarching story consultant, something like that, but really give uh, some other writers maybe maybe a chance at it. But, you know, at least when it comes to especially a new companion, I would like to see them maybe shake that dynamic up a little bit more. So, yeah. <sighs> All right, it's late. <laughs> it is late. It is time to wrap this. To steer this boat into Ridland Bay. Heck yeah! You have been listening to nerds talking about things on Casually Hardcore live on AlphaGeekRadio.com. You can find us on the interwebs at AlphaGeekRadio.com. Search Facebook and or Twitter for Alpha Geek Media. You will find us there. Alpha Geek Radio, Alpha Geek Video. If you wish to submit ideas and suggestions and links 
of things you wish us to talk about, go to alphageekradio.reddit.com. The subreddit is there awaiting you. We appreciate all the volunteers who spend their time there sending us ideas and things to talk about. And if you wish to participate, you can simply go there and either upvote and downvote ideas that are already there or submit new links and ideas of your own. It is a happy thing. You can find me on Alpha Geek, on Alpha Geek Radio, doing well. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter as GnomeWise. You can find Grail there as Izzy Grail. That's I-Z-Z-Y-G-R-A-I-L. Except I changed it to Grail C-H. Oh, that's right. You, you <laughs> revealed that last week. You have several years <coughs> worth of entropy to overcome before I realized that and remember to say it. G-R-A-I-L-C-H. Uh, you can find the network there as Alpha Geek Radio or the show as Hardcore Casuals. Send your emails to the show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com. In the meantime, I have been Gnomewise. And I've been Grail. And we will have now Will Being Yet to Be Out Here of Now. <laughs>